0: Is an utterly insane opening of uh, polka music, I guess. Uh, that is Greg Hoffman, Puppets with the Spoons. So I guess let me introduce myself a little bit different today. I'm DID, your host guide, and sometimes provocateur. And for the first time in a while, actually didn't have to read that off a sheet of paper. Welcome to the 19th episode of So There's That, the podcast. What I usually do now. Yes, so I usually introduce my sidekick and co-host Dante. But he's not here. Um he's at college and um he is sort of on hiatus from the podcast. And this has been um <laughs> this has been tough on me. I mean all parents go through this, so it's not anything unique for what I go through, but <sighs> This has been challenging. So, what we usually do at this point, we talk about, "Hey, how was your week?" and and you know Dante talks about his week, and then I, you know, I talk about mine. And um, so, uh, <laughs> uh, last week i I did one of the hardest things uh, I've ever had to do in my life, which is which is take my youngest son Dante to college. We, uh, we packed the car, more accurately, he and his brother <laughs> packed the car, as I was trying to get the podcast last week ready, uh, and, and live, and, and featured on, on Facebook. <clears throat> so we, uh, you know, the car was packed, we hopped in the car and, and drove up to Baltimore, which is something that we've done a lot over the years, we used to go to Otacon, uh, we used to go to Inner Harbor to, to see the ships, to go to the Baltimore Aquarium. And so it it's part of our family history making this drive up ninety-five. And we passed by a pineapple that's on the top of a building. And it's it was something that when the kids were young, every time we drove past, driving back from Philly to see my folks or whatever, uh, whenever we saw the pineapple, we'd wake the kids up and go, pineapple. And um and so we saw it and it was it was really bittersweet. I mean, it was awesome. It was awesome, <laughs> but you know, you you kind of realize it's kind of the last time that we're doing it together. So we drove to MICA. You know, for those of you who have who have um, listened to the podcast before, know that Dante got accepted to to MICA. Uh, those of you who who haven't, I guess, let me explain. MICA is Maryland Institute College of Art. It's a uh, it's one of the top six art colleges in the country, which as I like to say, probably means it's number six, right? Because if you're, you don't tend to say you're top six when you're actually number two. Uh, but still, phenomenal school, phenomenal school. Dante was so ecstatic last year when uh, when he got accepted. And um, actually earlier this year. And, and so we drove to campus and it was a little crazy trying to find where his dorms were and where the apartment was. And we parked and you know with the rest of the parents and started hauling stuff in found his apartment which is really cool he's got two roommates and uh and and a really nice general area this <clears throat> this is housing built for art students there's a lot of wall space uh it, there's several walls that you can you know put pins in and you can put giant pieces of art in and and this is living intended for artists who are going to stay up all night painting or drawing or doing whatever uh, they got their own kitchen. Very cool, very cool. And um, you know, we got to walk around campus. It's Baltimore. It's uh it's a it's a really neat area of Baltimore. And it was funny because when we took Dante's brother to school two years ago, Goucher. They had programming like move the kids in. Okay. Now we're going to do lunch and now we're going to have the whatever provost talk to the parents and the kids. And, and then we're going to do this barbecue thing. And then we're going to do this. And then parents get the hell out. But it was very regimented and it was wonderful. It was, um, it was, uh, it's just some wonderful speeches and lots of tears from parents and kids. And, and it was a really neat goodbye. And I, barely held it together. Okay, I didn't hold it together for that one. And this was, you know, before I started transitioning and was on hormones. So I guess I should mention for those of you who um, who have never listened to this podcast before, I am transgender. So, um... It, <laughs> this time I'm on hormones, and I, uh, you know, we move them in, we walk around, and it, it, there's just there's no scheduling, you know. There's like, oh well, maybe parents can have dinner with other parents, but not with their kids, and the kids are going to be welcome on their own. And and you know, so we just kind of wandered around, and there's a Two Boots Pizza. This is it's a uh, it's an East Village. I actually am podcasting from New York City today, in my apartment in Sty Town slash Alphabet City and two blocks north of East Village. But East Village is where Two Boots started. It's a, It's a Cajun pizza joint. So the Two Boots being Louisiana and Italy. And they do Cajun-style pizza. So they'll do you know, crawfish and andouille sausage and and other cool stuff. And they were movie buffs. So they have the pizzas are named after Mr. Pink from Reservoir Dogs and, you know, just all these different characters. The dude has his own pizza and every place has their own specialty pizza. So they finally opened one up in Baltimore and they do whatever bluefin crab on it. But this is... This was the place that when the kids and I came up to New York, when I first really brought them up for... Uh, you know, an extended period of time, the kid, we, I was like, hey, here are the restaurants I want to take you to. I want to take you to Katz's. I want to take you to Russ and Daughters. I want to take you to Eataly. You know, here's all the the shorties. Here's all the fun places that I go eat waffles and dingus. This is the stuff that I think you're going to enjoy. And then we ran through a laundry list of other places that might be fun. And so Michael got to pick a couple places, which is uh, what shows Shanghai, which is a soup dumpling place. And, and Dante got to pick a couple places he wanted to go to. And one of which was Two Boots. So Two Boots sort of became that fun pizza joint that we went to that was Dante's pick. And so having one that's whatever, three blocks away from his apartment, from his dorm room is really cool. So we got to eat there and reminisce. And, and it was neat. It was really neat. And so we walked back to his apartment and, um, I figured it was time to go. And uh so we're sitting there and we're chatting on the couch and I turned the air conditioning on and it was nice. And I said to myself, in, in not my out loud voice, I said, Hey, um, time to go. Time time to let go, time to let Dante start start his new life. And I um and I couldn't I couldn't. I just got hit with such a profound wave of sadness, you know, this this 18-year relationship that I'd had with my youngest son was changing so irrevocably. I mean, I know we're still going to have a relationship, but that everydayness that we had, that podcast that we do, watching Hannibal together and gravity falls and and all the various things we did, that was coming to an end. And I couldn't, I couldn't say goodbye. So I did what I usually do, which is, okay, if I can't do this, then let me put a pin in this and uh, let me hang out for another 45 minutes until I can. And it hit me that there were moments of sadness and moments of utter joy for Dante. And so when the wave of joy hit me, I said, okay, that's, that's the moment, right? That's, that's when I'm going to do this. And so I, um, I gave him a quick hug and I said, Hey, uh, I think it's time for me to, you know, for me and Michael to head out and, um, you know, have a, have a great time. Let's stay in touch. And, um, So I gave him a hug, and it wasn't crazy emotional, and it was happy, and it was like, hey, you know, do great things, and and God, I'm so proud of you, and I'm so happy for you, and, you know, let's not, you know, be strangers. And so I left, and I was like, hey, I did this. I did this. You know, I'm on this emotional roller coaster the past couple weeks and on hormones, and I just didn't think I could do it. And so I was so proud of myself that I could and i got outside of the of the the building that he's in that had all the mica students and parents and everything and i got outside of his window and i it hit me <laughs> and i i lost it and uh and i you know i told michael to hang on <laughs> because the car was however many blocks away and I I just I put my hand over my eyes so that people couldn't see and I tried to compose myself and I tried not to have too many tears stream because I didn't want my mascara to run and uh, and I finally composed myself and uh, we went back to the car and and drove home so that that was that was my Wednesday and you know I'm busy When I'm working, I'm crazy busy, and when I'm not working, I'm crazy busy. So, so the next day, Michael and I drive two and a half hours to Salisbury, Maryland, because of the arcane rules that exist in Maryland. So, in Maryland, to get a driver's license, not only do you have to go through this, you know, traditional. Oh, here's the written driver's test. But you have to take like a classroom course for a week, and then you have to do driving for a week, and then you have to have your parents fill in a book explaining how many hours you've driven and in what conditions, and yada yada yada. And they're very strict as to how many hours you have to put in before you're even allowed to go online and schedule a driving test. So this has been going on for a while to get Michael his uh, his, his driver's license, and so he scheduled. As soon as he could, it, it, it's two months out scheduling your driver's test. The only place we could find before college started was in Salisbury, Maryland. And this is Eastern Shore, Maryland. This is literally two and a half hours driving around the Beltway, driving through Annapolis, driving across the Chesapeake Bridge. And then you have another hour to get to, to get to Salisbury. So again, two and a half hour drive, that was Michael, that was Michael doing it. And it's so weird for me because I I grew up in Pennsylvania and the driver's test was really simple. Like you did the driver's, you know, you did the written test and you know, whatever, it came back and you passed. And then it's like, okay, so whenever you wanna take the actual driving test, you go. And you just, you get in line with your car. You don't like go inside and stand in lines. You just, the cars are parked there and the engines are running and whatever. And then you go in, you drive through a little obstacle course, boom, you pass and you're done. So this is such an alien thing to me. So look, I was thrilled for him and it was great to be able to spend some additional time with him before his college started, before I finished my move to New York. So we had a really nice time, and we, it's so funny because we got there, and he was so nervous. I mean, he was so ner- I've never seen Michael that, this this nervous before. And it's weird because he's like such a terrific driver. I mean, he's been doing this for a couple of years now, and, and I'm, believe me, I'm a tough grader, and I am wildly, wildly impressed with with his driving. So we finally, you know, we get there and we scheduled for his driver's test and it starts like an hour late. And so he goes in there and we drive the car around and he goes, "Okay, so, you know, everyone's like, hey, thanks. So why don't you go inside, sit down and Mike will be back in half an hour. I'm like, "Okay, great. So I go inside. I'm like, "Okay, well, let me sneak into the bathroom and, you know, because there weren't a lot of people there and again, it's Eastern Shore. I didn't know if people were going to have an issue, but people were really nice. I used the women's room. It was cool. And so I come out and I see Michael trying to find me and I'm like, what the hell just happened? Did he just fail in record time? Like did the nerves get to him? And so he goes, oh my God. So, uh, the brake light is out. And so they're giving us an hour to get it fixed. Um, otherwise like we have to reschedule and he's totally freaked out. And I'm like, Okay. And they're like, yeah, apparently there's a Kmart across the street. I'm like, great. So we hop in the car and, and, you know, we get, we get a screwdriver because I'd clear the car out of everything because I'm moving and, uh, and bought a brake light and, uh, undid a couple screws, pulled the light back so I could get to it, popped it in, fixed. And Michael is so impressed with me. Number one, that I can like fix the car. And number two, I was totally unstressed. And I'm like, look, I grew up, you know, with cars in the 80s where, you know, almost every car I had was from the 70s, pre-catalytic converters, and so you did all of your own repairs. You know, you replaced alternators, you replaced regulators, I've replaced U-bolts, you know, whatever you needed to do on your car, that's how you did it because cars were cheap. And the only reason they were cheap is because you did all of your own damn repairs. So we get this done, we're back 15 minutes later, we kind of get back in line for it, and, um... And he takes his driver's test. And he's not anywhere near as nervous anymore because the worst thing that could possibly happen sort of happened, which is the car won't work. And uh, so he took the driver's test. And I sat outside this time. And I'm chatting with other parents. And and he comes back maybe 20 minutes later and he parks. Great parking job, by the way. And best of all, the kid's there because I'm a proud parent. And he comes by and he, he he does the Rocky with his arms in the air. And he passed. And it was... I was so proud of him and so happy for him, and you know, there's a bittersweetness when your kids grow up, but there's this, there's a sweetness to it, and you're just, just over, overjoyed that this is thing he's been working on all summer to try to get to, and it's just, every step of the way has just been so hard. So anyway, joy, 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 there, and we drive back, hit a bunch of traffic, and kind of get back late, but he got his driver's license, so that's that's Thursday. Friday, we get up early, we go to the MVA Maryland Vehicle Administration, because I don't need a car now that I'm moving to New York, and so I decided to gift him the car. And so we go there, we get there at 8.30 in the morning, the moment they open, there's a massive line out front, and I'm like, oh, no. And, uh, the line moves pretty quickly and, uh, we do all the paperwork. And of course, the, the woman working behind the counter hollers at Michael because he, he's made a mistake in filling out one of the forms on the title and, and scratched his name out. And she's like, Oh, you could void the title. It really, really got on his case. And he's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And so 25 minutes later, uh, he is the owner of a 1998. Mercury Mountaineer with 195,000 miles on it, but a V8. So he is overjoyed, and he now owns his first car. And it's neat because it makes me go back to the cars I owned. And, and my first car was actually something that my brother gave me. Uh, it was a 1970 Galaxy station wagon with with wood paneling and this thing was beat to shit man it was fallen apart it, i parked it and it got uh in philadelphia when i was in college and it got hit by it, like uh a um garbage truck and it took the back left quarter panel and it put it on top of the car so i had to reconstruct my back left quarter panel by using a crowbar getting all the metal pieces back in rewiring all of the lights using Styrofoam and duct tape so that the angles look nice. But I love that car. Um, it was a piece of crap. The radiator didn't work well, and and it, it, the heat never worked. And so I then my next – but it had a V8. It had a V8. I've always driven cars with V8s because that's just – I don't know. I, I just, I've just, i always been a car fanatic, and, and again, it's just so much fun when you're a kid being able to work on a car and fix things, and something breaks, and there's no computers. It's just, you know, you pull out a hunk of metal, you go to Pep Boys, and you put a fresh hunk of metal in, and the car seems to start working again. My next car was a 72 Buick Skylark. Um, and I love that car. That car was dynamite until it again finally kind of gave up the ghost. Cause again, this is the eighties. So this is, you know, these cars are 10, 15 years old. And then my next car was a 1976 Chevy Nova, a white Chevy Nova. And it was that was another piece of crap. And I used to have to add a quart of oil every week so the engine wouldn't seize. And I think at one point it just like, it was just gushing oil, and I stumbled across, at this point I was married and had the kids, I stumbled across a 1968 Ford Mustang, 289, British Racing Green, oh my god, did I fall in love with this car, and it was my pride and joy for probably four or five years. I mean, the car would overheat when you, if you hit too much traffic, and and... I finally got a whole bunch of repairs done. I mean, it was a total money pit, but I loved it and the kids loved it and it was so much fun to drive and it had such terrific pickup. And I finally got to a point where I had made enough repairs that the car was in pretty good shape. So I finally said, well, screw it. Let me replace the windshield. And so they replaced the windshield because it was all dinged up. And it turns out that however they replaced it, the sealant didn't work, and they couldn't figure out how to get the sealant to work, such that every single time it rained, the windshield would drip on the bottom through the body of the car onto your feet, so <laughs> not only do you have anxieties driving that you're going to hit a backup and your car's going to overheat and you have to throw the en- throw it in neutral and you have to rub the engine, but if it starts raining, then you're going to get. Wet feet, wet shoes, and God forbid you're going in for like a meeting, like a real meeting where you have to dress nicely, and you're wearing dark socks. Oh my God, I would have these blue stains on my feet for weeks. So, anyway, it, it, that's the way I, American love affairs with cars, where they drive you nuts, but uh, but they're awesome. So it's it's weird now because I'm now for the first time since college, first time probably about, I, mean, I hate to say it, thirty years. I don't have a car. I don't have a car. But seeing Michael's face and taking a picture of him with his first car, just you get that flashback to when you owned your own car. You got to drive solo for the first time. So I'm so happy for him, and uh, <laughs> and it's a V8. So that's pretty cool. So anyway, that's that was Friday morning. We finished packing the car, and this is my move to New York. You know, like everything I'm taking from the house, I'm taking. Michael's going to return on his own, pack his own car, head up with some people to go into college. But this is it for me. This is it for me. So we get everything in the car, barely. Oh, my God. Jam the car full. And so it's time. It's time to take Shadow, my cat, and move her, you know, whatever, 200 miles and four hours away from a suburban environment with a backyard and rabbits and mice and a fence that she can prowl around to the tenth floor New York City apartment that doesn't have a door to the backyard, you know? And and so we we try to coax her into a box and she starts freaking out because cats don't like when you move. They're like, hey, what the hell's going on here? Cats like consistency. Nervous as cats, right? You change anything, cat starts getting nervous. So the cat starts to freak out. So I said, look, let's just we'll let the cat go outside for a few minutes. We'll call her. We'll come her back in. She'll understand that like we're not we're not trying to grab her, or do anything. And then we'll put her in the car. I don't need a, you know, a cat carrier. Who needs a cat carrier? I've moved 25 cats in my day. I never needed a cat carrier. All we need is a good box. Well, this cat doesn't like a good box. Every other cat I've had loves boxes. This cat, no. And she wedges her head in the corner of the box to pop it open, right? So she disappears for literally two hours. Not one of my best choices. Not one of my best decisions. We finally, finally find her, coax her back in, toss her in the box, take her to the car. She is screaming and howling in the box and throwing her body against it, trying to pop out. So Michael finally gets her in the car, we close the doors, I lock everything up, grab my last thing, wave goodbye to the house, and hop in the car, we let the cat loose, and she is freaking out. And she is, she climbs up onto the stacks of stuff, and she starts panting, like panting. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Is she having a panic attack? So I had Michael look up, you know, on his iPhone, like, hey, what's this? And it turns out when cats get really freaked out, they start panting. So she is in view of my rearview mirror. That's what I can see, right? And she is panting for the first half hour of the drive. And when she's not panting, she's howling. And when she's not howling, she's meowing. And I'm like, this, this is going to be a fun drive. Because not only is it annoying, not only is it heartbreaking, but it's frustrating, you know? And it's just like, I don't know what the hell to do. So, fortunately, after about an hour, she calms down and just kind of sits there and glowers at me through my rearview window. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like she resigned herself to her fate. So, we finally, after four, four and a half hours, uh, get to New York. And- <laughs> We try to put her back in the box, and she just—we get her in the box, and then she pops her head out through the corner. So Michael just grabs her. The cat adores Michael, and so just starts petting her and just holding her. And so we pull up probably like 100 feet from the front door of the apartment, and that's all we worry about is how do we get the cat in? Cat's unhappy, but we get her up. We get her into the apartment. She's freaking. Not as badly, but— you know, like new place, you know, imagine it from her perspective. You know, we've kidnapped her. We've been kidnapped, apparently. And when she comes out, she's not home. She's in this foreign place, which happens to have some furniture that has her scent on it. So she finally starts to calm down. We uh we empty we empty the rest of the stuff out of the car and park the car and, and I realize I'm I'm finally a New Yorker. You know, and I've talked about this before that I've been trying my entire life to finally get here, and and now I am, now I am. So, um, end of a busy, busy week, and uh, so Saturday, you know, we're hanging out with the cat, and and Michael helps set up the cable and the game systems because I have seventeen thousand electronic components that I'm staring at right now. I my. You know, I have the cable, I have TiVo because I have stuff I recorded from before. I have a VHS, VCR player. I got an Xbox 360 that actually plays the DVDs for the most part. I got a Wii, I got a PS2, a Roku, and an Apple TV. So I think we filled every single possible port that we can. Again, that's just, that's how I roll. And the kids seemed to enjoy it. So we got everything in. The cat seemed to be relaxing a little bit more. We went out and found a place that makes ramen burgers, which was uh, a neat thing for me and Michael to share. And, you know, and then a hug. And and Michael drives off in his car. And it, um, so weird. So weird to watch your son drive off in your car. <laughs> Um, And you don't know when you're going to see him next. And um, so, again, just total joy for him. But, you know, it just hits you that their childhood's over. I mean, not my parenting. Obviously, parenting never really ends. But that childhood, those little kids aren't so little anymore. And, you know, Dante's in college and Michael owns a freaking car and drives four hours back to Maryland on his own. So that's where I am now at a at a crossroads. So uh, instead of corrections and updates and mailbag like I usually do, um, this week <laughs> I'm just gonna go straight into the topic du jour because I just I just don't have it in me to talk about inane <sighs> parts of my life because I'm letting go so palpably of my old life and grabbing a hold in in such a demonstrative way of my new life. And it's these pendulum swings from unbridled joy at what I have ahead of me and this impossible life that I'm now living and that profound sadness at what has come to a close. And wow, those those swings hit you just without warning. You're walking down the street and boom. You know, you you see something and you're like, "Oh, I'm going to tell Dante about that tomorrow." Or, you know, like, "Oh, we should go to this restaurant." And it's you suddenly realize that this life that you've cherished for 20 years just isn't the just isn't there anymore in the same way. And it's juxtaposed to a life that I've wanted ever since I was aware. <laughs> and it's and it's a life I only ever dreamed of. And I, I I I feel like I need to put this in context for people as to how crazy this dream of mine was and why this life I'm having I'm so joyous about, even when I have bad experiences, because Look at it this way. Take, take the biggest dream you've ever had in your life. You know, the the crazy one, the one where you're on stage giving a speech for an Academy Award for writing the best movie or directing or whatever. Something that's just not going to frickin' happen, you know? Unless you're, like, an Academy Award-winning writer, <laughs> director, actor, and you have to be listening to this podcast. But for the most of us... You know, it's that sort of dream that's just, it's a dream, right? And that's what it is. It's, it's just never going to happen. Um, and that one has happened for me. It's come true for me. And that's why I talk about impossible girl and, and this impossible life that I'm living, because for most of my life until about a year ago, this was never going to happen. There was no way that I could live this. And so I had convinced myself that I couldn't really realistically think about this because I just wasn't going to do it, you know, and, and next time in whatever format I move forward with these conversations and these thoughts, be it a podcast, be it whatever, you know, I think I'm, I think I want to go back to that because it's, it's almost exactly a year ago. That I decided to turn my life upside down and and jump off this transgendered cliff and it's and it's weird because by by letting go of my old life right by letting go of the kids and you know letting them start their own life that they control that they literally drive right that Michael gets in the car and drives four hours on his own, having never done it before, and it's awesome, and he loves it. By moving out of Maryland, by moving out of that neighborhood and, and disconnecting from that life and, and that house that has represented so many great things and so many great memories also is the skin and the shackles that, that keeps me bound to, to these old patterns of being male and, and, and not being able to unthinkingly be who I am, you know, and this, it's being perceived by so many people there as to who I'm expected to be. So, you know, it's <laughs> part of this joy I get to be who, who I want to be. It, 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 and more accurately, who I am on the inside, I can now share with the world and And in a very bizarre way, it's almost expected of me now in New York with all the people I know and the way I've come out. And, um, and it's awesome and it's joyful and it's crazy. And I literally can't stop smiling. I mean, it's the number one thing people say to me is just, man, you just, you look so happy. And I am. And I am. And it led to a decision as I was doing my final packing because I've talked about this previously that I I used to have a stash of women's clothes in the closet that I kept hidden that for, you know, weekends when no one was around, I could dress up and, and I had flipped that script such that I've been living full-time female since the beginning of the year. So that's whatever, you know, pushing eight, nine months now. And, um, And so I was going to have a stash of male clothes for emergency purposes, whatever the hell that means, funeral clothes, as I sort of dubbed them. And I decided, no, this is who I am. I'm not going back. I can't even imagine going back because I can't anymore. It's the concept of what's been seen cannot be unseen. So I couldn't bring that bag of clothes, just in case. And I was just like, screw it, you know, not going to do it, right? (laughs) And it is a joy that I've sort of stood up to my own life and said this. I've never been happier, literally never been happier. And this is the path I've chosen. This is the path I'm going to go down and no backsies, no backsies. But at the same time, again that pendulum swing. That when I have these neat things, or I'm queuing up Hannibal, you know, I'm I'm just devastated that I'm not going to see Dante tomorrow, you know, because being divorced and having you know joint physical and legal custody, you um. You don't see your kids every night, and now Michael's in school. So with Dante, it's not seeing him for a weekend, not seeing him for three days, not seeing him for a week is, it happens, but you're always going to see him in a couple of days. And I don't, and I forget, I forget just as the season finale of Hannibal came. Like it just, I, you know, I couldn't resist. I had to watch it, but it was so, not to have him there to be able to chat about it you know and be blown away by all the bizarre twists and turns and and don't get me wrong I mean we we still text and because you know I'm doing the podcast I'm texting him you know so how do I do this how do I not have an echo how do I not screw this thing up and, and you know we email and we chat by phone and, and we'll see each other for a weekend here and you know on a holiday there and you know a handful of more summer breaks um but that that childhood i spent raising him is over you know that that one that was 18 years in the making the one that would never end has ended i mean you look and you have 18 years you have 20 years and it's just like that's that's a lifetime right and it's never going to come to a close and it and it has and it's like aging. I mean, it is aging. You know, that you never think you're going to get old. And, and then you you turn around and you are. <laughs> and in such a profound way, in such a profound way, when you drop your youngest off at college and your oldest drives off in your car and you change cities and genders, it really hits home and you're so proud of them right time to fly <laughs> and you're so happy for them i mean i honest to god i i couldn't be prouder of dante and michael and i am blessed on so many levels to have such such a good relationship with them to this day you know that time that time has come to an end and that pendulum that pendulum has swung once again for me, you know, the, the good and the sad. And, and the next podcast, Hey, I'm going to be good. I hope <laughs> I better be. <laughs> and I'll talk about my impossible life and I'll talk about how groovy and how awesome and, and, um, how fantastic and special this life is. But for right now, for this week, for this podcast, I want to wallow in it a little bit. Um I think I've earned that. I think I've earned that. And I hope I haven't sort of worn out my welcome <laughs> with this own personal pity party that I'm putting on uh putting on iTunes. So that's all I got this week. Uh no sort of clever outro on this. No 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 clever turn of phrase. It's um it's just it's been it's been a crazy 20 years of of raising kids. It's been a wonderful 20 years. And um, and for those of you who have kids, cherish them because it comes—that it, special bond, that everydayness of family does come to an end at some point. And I am so blessed for having been able to experience it and have kids who— are so overwhelmingly supportive and happy for me in the journey that I'm taking. So uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Most of you guys know the drill. Uh, Adventuresintransgendering.com is the website and the blog. Uh, Facebook.com slash monquette is our Facebook page. Uh, We're on iTunes. Leave positive and groovy reviews if you haven't. Uh and um and you know, email me. <laughs> Haven't said that yet, D I G at typingmonkeys.com. I'd love to hear love to hear from you, love to hear what you think of this. Um, I know this is a real big change of pace from what I usually do, but this was day one of 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 my new life. So anyway, thanks for listening. And I'm gonna play us out with uh puppets with spoons by Greg Hoffman.